Brian McClanahan Show, episode 331. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And subscribe to my YouTube page at Brian McClanahan, where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com mclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. When you enroll, you get a free class. And of course, you get the best deals on forthcoming courses. That is a big hint because there will be a course out this week that only McClanahan Academy subscribers will know about for about five or six days. So you're going to want to be on that list so you get the best deals and you get the best price. And of course, I've got 12 other classes available for purchase there as well. So there's a lot of ways to support the show. By buying a class, you get great stuff, and of course, it helps keep this free material going. You can also go to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. You can get your Brian McClanahan book plates there. If you want my autograph of one of my books, go ahead and purchase one of those, and I'll send it to you in the mail. Of course, I have a new book out, Southern Scribblings. Just go out and look for it, Southern Scribblings. It's a great book, collection of 60 essays on the South. And, of course, this is going to be a South Center topic today, so it'll be a lot of fun if you had that. You can also support the show by going to LearnTrue, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. It's always a great website. Uh, it's, uh, I teach there with Tom Woods, Kevin Goodsman, Brad Berzer, Jason Jewell, a whole lot of great faculty members. So you're going to want to get that website as well. You can get your Brian McClanahan Show logo and all kinds of cool stuff by clicking on the Shop tab on my webpage. All kinds of great ways to support the show and advertise the show. And, of course, share it on social media. Rate it wherever you get your podcast. Do everything you can to help spread the message of thinking locally and acting locally because that's what this is all about. Now, this particular show today, though, is going to be fun because it's going to address a topic that blew up over the weekend. Of course, I only do this show Monday through Thursday. So on Friday... There was uh, somebody sent me a, a link to a CBS Evening News uh, episode, or at least a segment of an episode, that featured Stephanie McCurry. If you don't know who Stephanie McCurry is, she is a Ivy League professor. She teaches at Columbia University. She used to teach at University of Pennsylvania. She's written three books on the war, and they are generally anti-traditional history. And when I say that, they are anti-South. I mean, she's very open about this. She does not like the South. Now, she is from Ireland, so she settled in the United States, uh, and she's decided that she's going to lecture Southerners on what it means to be Southern or what the South really meant. And in this particular segment, they brought her on to talk about a piece that she wrote in The Atlantic, which, if you look at it on its face, I mean, it's, it, it's not even history. It's a polemic. And that's essentially what Stephanie McCurry writes. She writes polemics disguised as history. Now, I write polemics too, but I let you know I do it. My biases are out front, uh, particularly because I, I publish for uh, a publisher that is publishing conservative books. So you know what my biases are going to be when I go into it. But she masquerades as objective. 
There is no objective history. And her particular position that, well, I mean, all this stuff is known, that these Southerners tried to change the history and all these things, and I'm just telling you the real history. No, you're telling me and you're telling everyone else your version, your view of the history, your spin on the history. That is something I've talked about quite a bit on this show, that there are very few facts in history. There's a lot of opinion in history, and it's okay. I mean, if she wants to do that, and I've never dissuaded, tried to dissuade anybody from reading these books... If this is what you want to read, in fact, I recommend you read them so you can sharpen your pencil because uh, typically these make me laugh out loud when I read them. But there's one particular part and one particular thing she said in this episode with CBS News, this segment, where she was asked a question about the Confederate Constitution versus the United States Constitution. And this is one of the major problems I have with these people. Because if you listen to them, what you get out of it out of it is that you would think that the United States was somehow vastly different legally from the Confederacy, which is simply not true. And she says it. I mean, this ex- explicitly says the two con- constitutions are dramatically different, that there is a myth. She says there is a myth uh, that the U.S. Constitution or the Confederate Constitution was an exact copy of the U.S. Constitution. Now, first of all, this is a straw man argument because nobody has ever said that, that I'm aware of, that it was an exact copy, an exact copy. No, it never was an exact copy. There's all kinds of differences in the Constitution. If you want, I get into this in great detail in my American Constitutions class at McClanahan Academy. There's all kinds of differences. But the differences she points out are problematic because... She's being disingenuous, which is the real problem. Okay? In fact, she contradicted herself in this very segment about two minutes apart. They asked her a question. She said, oh, these ones are very different. But all of this is an... And then two, two minutes later, she said something entirely different. She contradicts herself. She doesn't even realize she's doing it, I don't think. But she does. Okay, so this is what I want to focus on. So I asked her a question on Twitter. I said, uh, and I, I should just pull it up and read it. Well, I'll just paraphrase. I said, Dr. McCurry, I was very polite. I said, Dr. McCurry, can you please point to the specific article of the Confederate Constitution that explicitly denied the states the ability to abolish slavery? Conversely, can you point to the article in the U.S. Constitution that that explicitly granted the general government to abolish slavery? And I said, 1860 Constitution, not to to differentiate it from the 1865 version, which, of course, had the 13th Amendment. And some nitwit on Twitter, oh, there's no 1860 Constitution. Yeah, I I know that. Okay, I know it's, but I was doing it because they're five years apart. When I'm talking about on the eve of the war, that's why I said 1860 U.S. Constitution, on the eve of the war, what was the difference between the two? Because in her words, she said that, Slavery was explicitly protected in the Confederate Constitution. Now, that means, and she said, now, she did say this, the central government, the territories, uh, the right of property and slaves was, was protected in the territories, which really was the issue, okay? Now, we could talk about how the U.S. Constitution, the Confederate Constitution, at least one argument would be that they aren't any different in this way. It's just that the, the Confederate Constitution said it to make sure that there was no dispute as to what slave property was protected in the territories. Now, before the war, Southerners said that the Fifth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution protected slave property in the territories. Now, we could say that's true or not. I can point out Southerners and Northerners who said it was 
who said it was true. I can point out Southerners and Northerners who said it wasn't true. So that was a legal debate. A political debate, by the way, because the territories meant everything. That was the expansion, not just of slavery, but of but of uh, political economy and, of course, who controlled the reins of government. The question you have to ask is why was slavery even important to begin with for 99% of the American population? It was important because of power. And if you go all the way back to the, to the ratification of the Constitution, this becomes clear. There was a threat over, or fear, I should say, in the South, a palpable fear that the, that the Union would be controlled by the North. And in the North, there was a fear that the Union be controlled by the South. You see, this is why they discussed having sectional control of the government, having certain members uh, uh, controlling the government in the Senate, say, or an advisory council. This is what George Mason asked. Why don't we have an advisory council that's made up of South, Mid-Atlantic, and Northerners for the president? Why don't we have this? Recognizing that there's going to be divisions in the government. And the thing he was most concerned about were what he called navigation laws. But I thought tariffs weren't important. These things aren't important. Nope. Well, see, who controls the government controls the taxes and can tax the other section into oblivion. So this is the issue, okay? But regardless, so she said that there is substantial difference between these two documents. So I asked her, give me that. So what does she do? This is the hilarious. This is when it gets fun. She responds by saying, by citing... a portion of the uh, Constitution, Confederate Constitution, that did not apply to the states. That did not apply to the states. And I'm going to read it. So let me get to this. Uh, I said, I'm going I'm to read you my exact quote, and then I'm going to read what she said. I said, Dr. McCurry, can you please cite the article of the CSA Constitution that explicitly denied the right of a state within the Confederacy to abolish slavery? That denied the right of a state within the Confederacy to abolish slavery. So the state, not the general government, the state. Conversely, can you cite the article of the 1860 U.S. Constitution that granted the U.S. government the right to abolish slavery? So she responds, Section 9, 4 no bill of attainder or ex post facto law denying or impairing the right of property in Negro slaves shall be passed. Anything else you need receipts on? So she's trying to drop the mic. Well, that's not what I asked her because, you see, that applies only to the general government. So, I respond. This, ladies and gentlemen, from an Ivy League professor, expert on the South, who does not know that Article 1, Section 9 of the U.S. Constitution, just as in the and the CSA Constitution, just as in the U.S. Constitution, applies only to the general government of the CSA and not the states. Her response to that was this. Look, don't be a condescending prick. I know that very well. Well, then why did you give me the argument that it wasn't true? So, which was my point? They built an explicitly pro-slavery nation-state, which is why that article is in the Constitution of that state, the CSA. No. She, she's, she's splitting, she, she's parsing words here. In other words, she, she admits that she's wrong about citing that, that I was correct, but that she thinks that there's this nation state, the CSA, that does not allow the states to abolish slavery. And of course, then all the little Twitter historians, all the little dummies on Twitter, jumped on and started, you know, oh, how dare you try to contradict Stephanie McCurry? Do you know who you're talking to? Yeah, I know who I'm talking to. Someone who doesn't know what she's talking about. 
clearly. Because I'm going to go back to the interview that she gave and show you where she even contradicts herself. And of course, I responded that, well, there's that pesky little Article 6, Section 6 of the Constitution, which makes your point invalid, invalid and frankly sophomoric, which of course is what you would say the Tenth Amendment is in the U.S. Constitution. Then there's the preamble, which it says that the states are sovereign. Uh, and then the debates that frame the document, of course, get into this issue where states could abolish slavery. Now, I didn't say they would. I never said that. I never I don't, I don't, they probably wouldn't have. At least in the immediate future. I mean, people, well, why, why do you think they would have? I didn't say that. I was pointing out her incorrect position. I didn't make any comments about whether they would or, or, or should or anything like that. What I was just saying is that the states could abolish slavery just as they could in the U.S. Constitution should they so choose. Now, of course, some people tried to get, well, yeah, but because uh, you, uh, you could, uh, the states couldn't deny people their property if they were sojourning in those states, then it wouldn't really be abolition. Well, this was the same under the U.S. Constitution. I know that, well, you have personal liberty laws. You, you, you couldn't do that. Well, I mean, I can make the case that those, those laws were illegal according to the U.S. Constitution. You see, I can make a case entirely that the U.S. Constitution is, is just as pro-slavery as the Confederate Constitution. There was really no difference. And I make that case in my American Constitutions class. They're the same when it comes to the institution of slavery. It's just that the U.S. Con the Confederate Constitution, I should say, explicitly used the word slave to dispel any argument about, you know, people, uh, you know, persons, these kind of things. They used the word slave. So, yes, in that way, by using the word slave, there's a difference there. But in terms of the legal defense, the legal defense was something entirely different. They were the same. Now, I'll tell you how Stephanie McCurry knows that she's actually wrong about this. She's wrong about this creation of a nation state because even though the War Department operated that way, and I would agree with her on this, the central authority in the Confederacy began to abuse power. Why? Because they were trying to win a war. The central government of the Confederacy abused its power. We know that. It's quite clear that happened. And we know it because the states of the Confederacy began to resist it. She actually says this. Just two minutes later, she says, well, I mean, uh, the fact that the, because she's asked a question about Jefferson Davis, the fact that Jefferson Davis is universally revered now, it doesn't make any sense because during the time uh, when he was trying to nationalize and, and, and centralize power, he was being resisted by the states and they were going against their own positions on states' rights. Well, wait a second here. You just told me they created a nation state, but yet they didn't create a nation state because the Confederacy was resisting any types of centralized power during the war. So which one is it, Dr. McCurry? Which one? Which one is it? Did it create a centralized nation state or did it not? Or did the central government operate unconstitutionally as you actually said in the interview? And so this position that you gave me on Twitter doesn't make any sense. In fact, I think you should retract. If she, if she had any, any intellectual worth whatsoever, she would retract the statement that she gave me about Article 1, Section 9, Clause 4. She would retract that, but she won't because that's not 
what she wants to do. Because if you get to the interview later, she starts talking about uh, the fact that you know these statues need to come down, symbols need to come down, these things are horrible. She regurgitates some leftist nonsense about when the, when the monuments were put up, when they weren't put up, and all these kind of things. I mean, I'm not going to get into that. But the fact is, she's entirely incorrect about her understanding of the Confederate Constitution. This is from an Ivy League professor who's knowingly writing incorrect history. Knowingly. That's the problem. Now, if she made this mistake not understanding, I don't know, maybe she doesn't understand American constitutionalism. She is from Ireland, I don't know. Maybe she doesn't get it. But if she knowingly wrote this, understanding when she says, I know that very well, which was my point, which contradicts what she knows very well, then maybe she doesn't understand this. But I think she does. It's just that she wants to advance a thesis that's entirely incorrect. It's entirely incorrect. The structure of the Confederate government was a federal republic. Just as the U.S. Constitution structurally in 1861 was a federal republic when the Confederacy, when the states seceded. There's some other things she brings up in the Atlantic piece about how uh, the Confederacy didn't, of course, uh, they didn't, they weren't, uh, they weren't uh, dedicated to states' rights because they didn't give the states the explicit right of secession. Oh, yeah? Well, that's because they didn't have to because that's a reserved power of the states, just as it was in the U.S. Constitution. It's reserved power of the states. Just as ending slavery is a reserved power of the states. And it doesn't say, and it doesn't say in the amendment process that you can't amend that out. So that doesn't, just as in the U.S. Constitution, the Confederate Constitution could have been amended to abolish slavery. It, nothing is different there. This is the point I was making. Now, again, she contradicts herself when she does this. Because she did say in the interview with CBS that, well, I mean, it could have been for you know, a long period of time. Who knows? This is true. It could have been. I'm not, I'm not denying any of that. You see, people think that by saying this, I'm somehow, uh, and this is the, the, with Twitter and, and you know, social media, that you're somehow defending the institution of slavery. I wasn't. I, that was not my question. My question was, could a state in the Confederacy have abolished slavery if they wanted to? Now, I will say there were some differences in the Confederate Constitution and the U.S. Constitution, and it had to do with internal improvements. Those were expressly prohibited by the Confederate Constitution. Also, one thing that doesn't really fit her narrative of a nation-state, if the Confederacy was a nation-state, why did it not establish a centralized court system? She mentions it in her interview, well, the state Supreme Courts, because there, there was no Confederate Supreme Court. If this was a nation-state, then they would, that would have been one of the first things they would have done, is establish a federal court system, a national court system. But they didn't do that. They didn't do it at all. You see, so she knows some things, but yet she's trying to push a narrative that does not fit the reality of the situation with the Confederacy. The much, more strong, the much stronger national government was the U.S. government during the war entirely. It was much stronger 
and much more centralized than that of the Confederacy, which is why, I mean, people have complained about this for years. What was the, one of the reasons why, if they're looking at why the, the South lost the war? Well, because it wasn't centralized enough. It didn't have control over the states as the U.S. government had control over the states. Uh, there's other things that she says that are just so ridiculous. Uh, the, one of the questions was, well, the Confederacy wasn't a democracy, and that somehow implies that the U.S. was a democracy. Well, in 1860, I think there were five states in the United States that allowed black Americans to vote, and that was only in the year 1860. That's the first year that they did it. So right on the eve of the war, there were five states in New England that allowed black Americans to vote, with a total black population in those states of 0.8%. 0.8%, eight-tenths of 1% of the population of New England were African-Americans. That's not going to swing an election anyway. I mean, so 0.8%, eight-tenths of 1% uh, uh, eight of, of the population. So now, um, but women couldn't vote in any of those states. Not in federal elections. They couldn't vote in any of those states. In fact, it wasn't until long after the war that you saw women's suffrage even considered on a large scale in New England. That doesn't mean women couldn't vote in other in smaller elections or at times they could vote and it was restricted. In fact, blacks could vote in the South before the war, too, at one point in a couple of states, and then that was restricted. So this, this is an ebb and flow. She also makes the point that somehow the, uh, it was only rich people voting in the, in the South. The South by 1856, had universal male suffrage, just as the North had universal male suffrage. What's the difference? There isn't any. You see, this argument is a straw man argument. It's putting up that somehow there was this other op option out there of having mass democracy, universal democracy across sex and race in the North and then the South didn't have it, but they were the same. They were the same. So, all of these arguments are ridiculously stupid straw man arguments. To make one side look one way, one side look another way, when in reality you had two slaveholding republics working through a war because the United States stayed a slaveholding republic until December of 1865 because there were still two states that did not abolish slavery until that point. But you had two slaveholding republics, federal republics, fighting it out, both dealing with centralization because they're trying to fight a war, both abusing centralized power, uh, centralized authority, both having problems. Uh, and, but McCurry makes it out like one is good and one is bad uh, in this particular regard, or one constitution is one way and one constitution is another way in this particular regard. It wasn't. That was the entire point of the exchange. Which is why I asked her. And of course, she backpedals very quickly and comes up with this nation-state ridiculousness that doesn't make any sense based on the actual evidence of what was going on that she herself contradicts just, you know, if she's asked the question two minutes later. So I had to get this out there because, I mean, this is the problem with the modern academy. People are disingenuous for a political agenda. And her political agenda, of course, as she clearly states, is to 
remove Confederate monuments, statues, whatever it is, any, any vestige of the Confederacy. She doesn't think it should even exist. Remove all those things. And that somehow they were created by mythmakers. The other thing, you know, her books are about uh, women not supporting the Confederacy. That that's a, women didn't support the Confederacy. Yet, um, I could give you example after example of women really supporting the Confederacy. Uh, but her, her position is that women really didn't do it. In fact, it's the, re- re- the reason that the South lost is because women stopped supporting the Confederacy. Uh, This is what passes for Ivy League scholarship in America. It's embarrassing when you think about it. It really is embarrassing. But, of course, when you're replacing Eric Foner at Columbia, I mean, what do you expect? Eric Foner is an open communist. And, uh, I mean, his his work is dedicated to that. The only thing that he ever wrote that was halfway decent was his book on the Republican Party, which, by the way, blows apart this righteous cause myth of the North as, as well. I mean, it's, it's a good book. Uh, so there you have it. Uh, my arguments with idiots on Twitter, mostly, though, with, I mean, my point was Stephen Curry. Of course, a lot of people would join in and would, uh, you know, pile on, try to pile on me, drop the mic and all this kind of stuff. It's just ridiculous. People just don't know. Anyways, that's it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. Uh, and, and uh, you know, go take my class on American constitutions because I get into this stuff. And uh, you look at these things from a legal standpoint. Um, I mean, that's, that's all you can do here and hope that, gosh, we can turn the tide some way and, and understand that uh, the legal structure of both governments was a federal republic, at least by design. Now, we know that in operation that didn't always work that way, but by design, that was the point. This is not about slavery at all. It's about what states could and could not do in each government. All right. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.